morning. I'm so uh, thankful to be able to be here this morning and uh, to worship with you. You know, I was uh, grateful a few days ago that uh, somebody gave me a couple of uh, Cubs tickets. And uh, that, they were actually the best tickets I've ever had. We were right behind home base. And so I was able to take my son to a Cubs game. The only problem is that uh, you don't tend to think of um, baseball and spring and 38 degrees. It was cold. And we only just managed to get the game in between the heavy downpours, and they lost. So nevertheless, my son and I enjoyed it. Even driving here this morning, it's kind of confusing as to which season we're actually supposed to be in. But, you know, it is interesting because as one season passes into the next, it is, in a sense, a reminder to us of this journey of life that we are on, that we move through different legs of the journey or different seasons of life. And, of course, like any journey, there are seasons where it is fairly smooth and and straightforward, and we're making progress well. And then there are seasons, there are legs of the journey that we find that it is like an uphill climb through sort of twisty and uncertain paths. And so there are seasons where we find ourselves perhaps facing some difficult or painful news. Many of us know what it is to experience the loss of a loved one, somebody that we care deeply about. And we find ourselves plunged into a season that we would not choose, a season that hurts, a season that's difficult, a season that sometimes seems incredibly uncertain. There there are times that we find ourselves or, or, or somebody that we care about finds themselves walking into a doctor's office for what they thought was a routine medical checkup only to hear the C word and to enter into an incredibly difficult and uncertain season as they battle with cancer. And and there are times, there are seasons where we find ourselves kind of facing the consequences of a dumb decision that we've made And, and, and having to figure out how that decision that we made in the moment, now we're supposed to navigate our way through what that means for the days that lie ahead. And so as we take this journey through life, as we move through these different seasons, as we walk through the different legs of this trip through life that we're on, we find ourselves oftentimes facing situations where where we just plain need help, Uh, where we need some other person to come alongside of us and to walk with us. And sometimes when we're in the midst of a difficult situation, as as many of us know, we can find ourselves unsure as to where to turn. And so we find ourselves asking, where do I go for help in this? Who do I turn to? And of course, the good news that we have, for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, is that we know one that we can turn to. But the question is, do we always turn to him? 
nearly 2,500 years ago. The psalmist penned the words of Psalm 121. If you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to join me there this morning because there's a sense in which in Psalm 121, we find a, a picture of a journey. And while the imagery that we find here in this passage of Scripture in the book of Psalms is maybe very different from the image that we are accustomed to seeing around us as we journey through life, uh, the truth of what we find here in God's Word uh, reminds us of the reality that life is a journey and it calls us to really consider the question, Where do we go when we are unsure? Where do we look when we need help? Let me read to you the words of this wonderful psalm. It says, a song of ascents. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you. He will keep your your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. What a beautiful psalm. It actually starts with this title, A Song of Ascents. And and the reason for that is it's part of a, a portion of the book of Psalms, which were used by pilgrims by Hebrews as they traveled up toward Jerusalem, towards the temple, to celebrate at one of the festivals that God had instituted for his people. And so as they went up, they would sing these songs and they would remind themselves. In a sense, they would prepare themselves for worship. But one of the things that we notice even as the the psalm begins is that it begins by, by declaring that we should look to the Lord for help. It says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, as you know, northern Illinois isn't exactly known for its rolling hills and its mountains. And, and so the picture, the imagery that we have here in this passage is not really something that we encounter every day. And yet it is something that the traveler back in the days of the psalmist would have faced. As he made his way up the winding paths in between the hills. The truth is that traveling through the hills in those days could be dangerous business. You see, you would travel up and and there were winding paths and there were rocky outcrops and there were portions where, where the path would sort of crumble away. And so it wasn't unusual in some of these areas in the regions around Jerusalem for people to be making their ways through the hills and for them to stumble and to fall into a ravine. 
And in some cases, they would lie there injured for hours or or even days before somebody came along. It also wasn't unusual for you to be making your way through a a lesser-traveled part of these hills and for bandits to hide out in caves and to pounce upon unsuspecting travelers, to overpower them, to, to rob them. And of course, Jesus even told a parable about this that we know as the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan about somebody who was making their way along and was overpowered by a group of bandits. It was considered to be a dangerous, precarious thing to travel through the hills. But while it was considered to be a dangerous place to be, it was also, in a sense, looked at as the hills as being a place of of rescue, a place of, of help. You see, throughout Israel's history, they had faced many battles. And so in the days of, in the days of ancient Israel, uh, when they were being attacked, for example, by an enemy, while the city around them was being besieged, they would often look up to the hills in hope that reinforcements might come over the crest of the hill and overwhelm the enemy. I like the, uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And there's a scene in uh, uh, The Two Towers, the second of the three books or the three movies, if you're more familiar with those, where Gandalf says to Aragorn, Look for my coming at the dawn of the fifth day. And there's a huge battle that is ensuing. Uh, the, the good guys are almost overwhelmed. It seems like all hope is lost. And suddenly, at the dawn of the, of the fifth day, when all hope seems lost, over the top of the hills rush a great army of reinforcements who decimate the enemy and bring rescue and help. It was also by many in ancient Israel considered to be a place of help and refuge because even though God had forbid his people from being like the surrounding nations, many of them, and you don't have to read too far in the Old Testament to see this, many of them had started to worship and put their trust in the false gods and the idols of those surrounding nations. And so the hills were the places where they would build shrines and where they would place altars to, uh, to these idols and where the Asherah poles would be built and the people would put their hope and their trust in them. And so even as a traveler made their way around, oftentimes in the, in the rocky outcrops, there would be an altar there and many would stop. And they would pray to an idol or make an offering to an idol, hoping that that idol might protect them as they made their way. But here in Psalm 121, the psalmist is very clear. As I take this journey, as I look to the hills, where does my help come from? It doesn't come from the hope and the expectation that my friends are going to burst over the hill and rescue It doesn't come from the hope and the expectation that this graven image, this idol, is going to protect me. He says, no. My hope is in the one who made the hills. My hope is in the Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. 
This was a problem in ancient Israel. That people lost sight of God when they found themselves in treacherous, difficult circumstances. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 23, spoke out against the people, declaring God's word, saying, Truly the hills are a delusion. The orgies on the mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. And so he really is condemning the people for putting their trust in other things. As we read this psalm, we're supposed to ourselves stop and take stock. We're supposed to, in a sense, ask ourselves honestly and truthfully, where do we look for help? Where do we put our trust and and, and our confidence? And most of us know the right answer to that. Maybe the Sunday school answer. Jesus, he's the answer to every question, right, in Sunday school. But really the question is, when we find ourselves facing something, where do we go? Because there's a whole lot of people, and let's be honest, a whole lot of people inside of the church of Jesus Christ who go rushing to other things. Some of us find ourselves in a situation we don't know what to do. Where's our first stop? Facebook. We have a question. Let's take it online. Let's, let's Google it. Let's look there for help. Uh, others of us have this idea that if we can just accumulate a certain bank balance, then no matter what we face in this life, we should be able to weather the storm. And so even as Pastor Lucas mentioned a moment ago, sometimes that, that love, that desire for more is, if I can just get a little bit more, then I can find myself in a place where I am protected from other stuff. Some of us put all of our stock, all of our hope in a relationship, in, in family members, in friends, and we even find ourselves sometimes putting such lofty expectations on other people that they could never fulfill those. And then we become mad at that person because they haven't met our needs in the way that we think they should. We live in a day where a lot of people think that government should be the answer to their needs. But the psalmist here reminds us that our help is from the Lord. It's not that friends and family, it's not that being wise stewards of the things that God entrusts to us materially. And though I loathe to admit it, it's not that sometimes a little bit of Facebook cannot be encouraging or or, or helpful to us in in a situation. It is that For those of us who name the name of Jesus Christ, we understand and we recognize that the things that we ultimately need, the help that we ultimately need, comes only from the Lord. And we should be careful that we do not look to other people or other things for what only God can provide. And so... What kind of help is it that the Lord gives? 
what does God provide for us when we find ourselves in need? How does, he, how does he help us as we move on this journey through life? Well, what we see in the remainder of the psalm is that the Lord's help is constant and it is complete. And as I studied over the psalm, I, I want to suggest to you that there are five incredible truths about God's help that are declared here, which if we could truly grasp these would be utterly life-changing. Just want to look at them very quickly with you as we move through the remainder of the remaining few verses of this psalm. In verse 3, it says, He will not let your foot be moved. See, the Lord's help is constant and complete because He will keep you from falling. Again, there's this image here of traveling up in the mountains, and it was not unheard of for a path to literally give way under somebody's foot. In fact, those who were superstitious in the, in the days of the psalmist would even suggest that demonic spirits could actually mess with you when you were up in the hills and, and that they would actually cause the ground beneath you to shake, that they would uh, cause you to stumble but again, the understanding here is that the Lord is our helper. And, and since he is our helper, he will keep you from falling. Now, he's not specifically talking there about the literal path under our feet. This is not saying you will never, ever sprain your ankle when you're out walking. But what it is saying is that, that we have a God who is a sure and certain foundation, that when our hope, when our trust, when our reliance is in him, that even when it seems like everything else is shaking, he will keep us from falling. I mean, think about that. What a great promise. It goes on, and we see that he, he is constantly available to us. I love this. In the second part of verse 3, it says, He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Isn't it good to know that the God who is our helper is constantly available? There is not one single moment that we can find ourselves in where he's not ready and able and willing to help his people. Again, the, the foreign gods of the surrounding nations, those around the people of Israel, they were accustomed to this idea of, of the, the gods that they trust in, which were no gods at all. Uh, the idols that they followed, which had no power. They had this idea that, that those idols, that those gods, um, they had certain times where they were unavailable. In fact, we see that in 1 Kings chapter 18, when we have this great picture of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And, and uh, uh, Elijah and the prophets, uh, they each build an altar. They each build, uh, filled with wood, and, and they prepare it. And then the prophets of Baal, the, the false god, uh, dance around and they whip themselves and they lash themselves, all trying to get their god to pour fire down upon this altar. And after a while, nothing is happening. 
And so Elijah starts to, to mess with them a little bit. He starts to joke with them. He starts to, to tease them. He's like, well, uh, why don't you shout louder? Maybe your God's busy. Actually, literally, he says, maybe your God is using the bathroom. Maybe that's why he's not answering you. But that's not the one true God. He who is our keeper, he who is our helper, does not sleep. He does not slumber. There is not one single moment where he is so busy or so preoccupied with what's going on in Syria that he's not available to help you and I. Isn't that incredible? Because what that means is that even when we find ourselves in a time or in a season where in the dead of night, when it feels like we are utterly alone, when it feels like we don't have anybody else to go to because everybody else somehow is able to sleep and, and we can't because of what we are facing. And we feel overwhelmed because of the news that we've just gotten because of that worry that we have, because we're not sure how we're going to make the rent payment. Because our child is struggling to make friends and we, there's nothing that we can do to help them. And we find ourselves just overwhelmed that we have a helper who is present, who is available, who is constant, and who is near to us. He will sustain you with his power and he will still you with his peace. Verse 5 goes on to say, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. You know, one of the uh, dangerous things about traveling up in the hills in ancient Israel was the possibility of getting sunstroke. It was a place where oftentimes you'd go great distances and, and not be able to find water. And, and so you could become dehydrated. You could become faint and weary. Another danger that was common was that if the journey took longer than you expected and you found yourself traveling at night, and people would refer to the possibility of becoming moonstruck. Today we would call it lunacy. It probably stemmed from the reality that when you're in a place where there is no light whatsoever, when you're in a place which is twisting and turning and, and the edge of a cliff is right next to you, when you're in a place where you know that bandits hang out and you make your way along that, every little sound can set you on edge. And so there's that idea of, of, of being overwhelmed with fear or overwhelmed with anxiety, even perhaps to the point of literally driving somebody crazy. The psalmist says, we have a helper who is like a shade on our right hand, who watches over us, who protects us in the midst of this and this this uh, picture of the of, of the sun by day and the and the moon by night and a protection from that really gives the image here of, of the ability of God to sustain his people even in the heat 
and the weariness of the traveling and to grant them peace even in the midst of the fear and the anxiety that they may face. And so as we go on this journey, I don't know about you, but I know that there are times in my life where I need the sustaining power of God and the peace that only He can give in the midst of what I'm facing. Sustaining power of God and the peace that only He can give. And this is the kind of helper we have. He will keep you from evil. It says in verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. Again, we read that and we think to ourselves, well, that's great because I don't want evil anywhere near me. But this idea of being kept from evil, it's even part of what we call the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Deliver us from evil. It's not often or not always what we would like to think it as being. You see, the reality is that as followers of Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that our life is always easy. It doesn't mean that, that nothing hard or difficult ever hits us. In fact, the Apostle Paul and his companion Timothy in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 talks about the fact that we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We are struck down, but we're not destroyed. Or, or, or later on in uh, his final letter that he penned to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 4, find it in verse 18, he talks about the fact that my Lord will deliver me from every evil act and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. It seems strange to read that from somebody who just a couple of months later was beheaded. Seems to me like that's an evil act, right? And yet Paul understood that for God to watch over us and keep us from evil doesn't mean that we never face anything hard. It doesn't mean that we don't sometimes even experience the evil deeds of others working against us. But what it means is this, that we have a helper who has pledged himself so that we will not be overwhelmed by the evil. So that we will not be undone by that which is evil. So that we won't be overcome by it. Did God rescue Paul as he thought he would? Yes. He brought him safely into his eternal reward. He was not overwhelmed by the evil that was done against him. He was preserved through it. It's the kind of God that we have. He says, he will keep your life. It's interesting. I don't know if you noticed this as we walk through this briefly, but um, on six occasions in this short psalm, the word keep is used. Six times in... Eight verses. As you're reading and studying God's word, it's always wise to pay attention to repeated words and repeated themes because as the 
author wrote this under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. They're trying to communicate something. When they say something six times, he will keep you. And, and so God is, is described here as our keeper, as our helper. To, to be a keeper means one who keeps watch over us. One who is our guard. It says that he will keep your life. What we're supposed to understand from this is that there is not a single moment, there is not a single situation in all of our life that God is not aware of. That we have a God who sees, we have a God who knows, we have a God who understands, and we have a God who is present and available as our help, our ever-present help in time of need. The Lord the psalm says, as it closes out, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You see, the Lord's help is constant and it is complete. And so, as we reflect on that, we are absolutely meant to consider the question that the psalmist asks right up front. Where does our help come from? But when we consider the kind of helper that God is, really, we're behooved to, to stop trying to do it alone. To stop trying to, to figure everything out ourselves. Did you know that um, the fastest growing category in publishing is self-help. And the reason that so many people like self-help is because we don't really like to admit that we need help. And so self-help is great because then we get to help ourselves. The problem is, maybe you're a whole lot smarter than I am. Uh, maybe you've got your stuff together a whole lot better than I have. but there's a lot of stuff in my life that, that I don't know how to help myself in. I, I can't come and figure it all out because it's bigger than I am. But I don't have to, and you don't have to. We don't have to move through life always looking and never sure of where our helper is, of where we should turn we should absolutely rejoice in the resources that God has allowed us to have. We can give thanks to him for the people that he has put in our life, for the resources that he makes available. But again, we should be careful that we never look to other people to do what only God himself can ultimately do. Only he can fill us with peace in the midst of a tumultuous time. We can take our pain and our struggles and our fears and our burdens and our uncertainty to him and we can find help and, and wisdom and peace and joy. And we do that as we come to him in prayer and we just lay it out. The Apostle Peter says that we should cast our burdens on the Lord. Why? Because he cares for us. And so we can come in prayer, we can come in his word and be reminded of the promises that he has made to his people and of the truth of who he is, that he is this kind of helper. 
Think about this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, our lives should look distinct from the world around us, right? Should make a difference. And, and, and where, does, where does that distinction often show up the brightest? When we're walking through a dark time. You see, when, when people who don't know Christ are going through hard times, they are looking everywhere to try to figure out, what do I do? Where do I go? You and I, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we have a helper whose help is constant and complete. And when your neighbor and when the person who sits in the cubicle next to you at work and when your friend at school sees that even when we're going through something difficult, even when we don't have all of the answers, that we have a peace, that we have a joy, that we have a contentment, that we have a confidence because we know who our helper is. That declares the splendor of God in an amazing way. And oftentimes will lead to a hunger in them to know what is it that enables you to stand firm in the midst of what you're going through. This psalm challenges us to consider where we look for help. It reminds us of how great our helper is. But we need to understand that for us, here today, God has indeed pledged himself to those who come to him by faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that really is precisely how we take a hold of his help and all of the provisions that he has made for us. It's when we acknowledge before him that we need help, that we cannot do it ourselves, that we have a sin problem, that we have been separated from God because of our rebellion against him, because we have chosen to go our own way. And there is nothing but nothing that we can do in order to earn our way back to him. That we are in a helpless state. In fact, we see that in the book of Ephesians referring to those before they came to know Christ, talks about the fact that we were without hope and without God in the world. But the good news is that it is through Jesus Christ that a way has been provided for us so that we can not only be reconciled to this God that we have sinned against, but that we can also be partakers of his promises and the provision that he has made for us. That Jesus, as we have sung about, hung and died on the cross to pay for my sin and yours. He died and was buried. But he rose victorious from the grave to make a way not only for our sins to be forgiven, but for us to have new life with him and access to the riches and the bounty and the provision of heaven. So God, the one who made the heavens and the earth, he is a constant and always available helper. His help is complete. And he has pledged himself to his children, to those who are his by faith in Jesus Christ. So that whatever season of the journey we may be on, 
So the, whatever you may be facing today or that you may experience tomorrow, we can have confidence. We can know where we turn for help. And when we turn to him, we will experience the joy and the peace and the courage that his presence and his provision and his promise provide. Would you pray with me?